This episode is sponsored by NewCalm, and as many of you know, I only bring sponsors onto this show whose products I truly swear by. Now, we are an overworked and underslept population, especially those of us that wear uniform for a living. And trying to reclaim some of the lost rest and recovery is imperative. Now, the application of this product is as simple as putting on headphones and a sleep mask. As you listen to music on each of the programs, there is neuroacoustic software beneath that is tapping into the actual frequencies of your brain, whether to upregulate your nervous system or downregulate. Now, for most of us that come off shift, we are A, exhausted, and B, do not want to bring what we've had to see and do back home to our loved ones. So one powerful application is using the program PowerNap a 20-minute session that will not only feel like you've had two hours of sleep, but also down-regulate from a hypervigilant state back into the role of mother or father, husband or wife. Now, there are so many other applications and benefits from this software, so I urge you to go and listen to episode 806 with CEO Jim Poole. Then download Nucalm, N-U-C-A-L-M, from your app store and sign up for the seven-day free trial. Not only will you have an understanding of the origin story and the four decades this science has spanned, but also see for yourself the incredible health impact of this life-changing software. And you can find even more information on Nucalm.com. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Wolf Brigade Training Director and Lead Instructor, Heather McAllister. Now, in this conversation, we discuss a host of topics from her own journey into the world of fitness, strength training myths, overcoming injury, the aging athlete, mental health, mindset, mace work, art, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment. Go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 800 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Heather McAllister. Enjoy. Well, Heather, I want to start by saying, firstly, thank you for your mentorship when you came down to CrossFit Iron Legion, and we'll get to that in a minute. And secondly, welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it, it was great meeting you then. I was super, super interested in you and what you do, and so I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, well, as you are aware, that day ended up being an absolute shit show, so I didn't get to glean as much knowledge from you as I as I hoped I could but it was just one of those days where a thousand things were happening at the same time but uh including an interview I think which is why I had to run away again oh that's right yeah yeah I mean as as it happens that <laughs> everything happens at once absolutely so first question then where on planet earth are we finding you today 
So I'm I'm at our home base location. I'm actually at the gym in Rochester, New York. Beautiful. So I would love to start at the very beginning. Obviously, we'll get into Wolf Brigade and, and the gym now. Tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, how many siblings. Okay. Uh, I was actually born here in Rochester, New York. I lived here all my life. So I was born, uh, my my mother and father got divorced pretty um, early on. I was only a, I was only a baby. So it was pretty much I was raised by my mother um, in a single parent household. I had an older brother at the time, a, a half brother. Well, I still have him, I guess. <laughs> um, an older half brother. He is about eight years older than I was. So we were we were very, very far apart in age. So I don't have a lot of memory of him before he left the house at as a teenager and then um, never really you know, caught up with him too much after that. So, so it felt like growing up as an only child, uh, till I was about, um, a, a teenager, uh, in, 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 at 16. Um, and that, then my mom passed and, um, so it was kind of a little bit on my own after that. How soon after you graduated, did you, did you lose your mother? Uh, I actually didn't graduate because she had gotten sick. So I, she got sick when I was 16 and with her, with the, with the insight that I have now, I understand that it was not ever going to get better, but that's what we kind of thought at the time. And so I stayed, I quit school and stayed home, um, I was driving her around to her appointments because it was really just the two of us. And we had we had a good circle of friends at the time, of course, that were that were helping. But um, it was just a, the family dynamic shifted pretty quickly. So I had to sort of step in and take care of her. So that's that's what I did at that time. The crazy thing about the podcast, I'm up to 830 plus episodes now is almost everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people have a lot of trauma in their life. And you know, obviously, we don't always view it as, oh, poor me, I had this thing, but people have these yeah. things. And it's, it's you know, we, we put people into these kind of like one-dimensional pigeonholes, you know, and, and therefore you should be fine because you're whatever. And then you right. actually look at these children, and for example, it comes up a lot, single-family homes a child has to become an adult very fast because they're paying, you know, to keep a roof over the family's head or, you know, a parent gets sick or another one walks out. Um, so when you look back at that with this adult lens now, what were the pros? Because obviously not everything is negative. So what were the pros and what were the cons of the family dynamic that you had? So the pros right away were just the closeness that I was able to um, experience with my with my mother. You know, it was just us really for such a long time. And I was kind of like her whole world. I was just talking today to somebody about how no matter what I did, I was a, I was a creative kid and a little strange. So I would be making I would I would rearrange the whole living room before she got home. I would do all this stuff. And, but no matter what I did, she thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> um, 
So it gave me a little bit of false confidence in some things, but <laughs> but that that was the takeaway. Our our relationship was really strong because it was just the two of us. And so that I am super grateful for. Um, I think the the cons just being that I didn't have a really good male role model in my life. So I didn't really know what that should look like um, or, you know, what, what, what a healthy dynamic was in those areas. So that's always been a, you know, a little, a, a trouble spot for me, but, um, and, and then just, you know, not having um, someone, checking on me all the time. You know, my mom would, was working, she'd be, she'd be at work and I would have to, um, just kind of take care of myself, which in itself is, is, is a positive, but the, the negative just being that I didn't really feel like I got to be a kid for a very long time. I was a very silly, goofy adolescent. And then when that happened, it really kind of went, you know, from zero to a hundred, she had brain cancer, which affected her speech and her ability to kind of um, think out things. And so I remember one very specific um, time where we were grocery shopping and she wanted, she wanted this like giant bag of candy. And I told her that we couldn't have it because we had a budget that we were sticking to and we needed to get the other stuff. And, and and she she couldn't express herself very well because her words wouldn't weren't coming and she just kind of like threw like a a tantrum in, in, at the store and it was i just remember feeling so terrible because i love my mom and i want her to have whatever she wants but i'm like totally like like not understanding what's happening in this moment and uh, so it was just a really weird role reversal um, at that time to try to like tell my grown mother that she couldn't have a bag of candy and her being really upset about it. And uh, so, so after that, it was just it was it was very it was very quick. Her 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 death happened within a, a couple months of her being diagnosed, and I lived with um, a family that I grew up with. Uh, so I was close with them for a little bit. And then I, and then I moved out when I was 18, cause it just didn't, it just didn't feel right. So, um, so again, just, just on my own early. And I think just fumbling through, you know, the things that your parents sort of teach you at those ages, like I, I had to figure all that out on my own. So the con would be making a bunch of mistakes <laughs> Um, in figuring out how to be an adult and, you know, all that kind of stuff, even just normal day-to-day -day stuff, you know, that your parents teach you, I had to, to figure out. Well, I mean, that last part of, of yours and your mother's relationship seems to mirror a lot of people who have a, a partner with dementia or, or, or a, a mother or father with dementia where they start losing them before they lose them, which is, I think, I would argue worse than just one day that they're, they're gone. Um, Tell me about who she was. What what did she do as a profession? And tell me about the woman she was before you lost her. Uh, my mom was a she was she was a really she was a really dynamic lady for being really 
kind of introverted and and shy almost is is how I remember. She was very quiet. She had she she had a, a very very bad upbringing, um, uh, very bad, and she was really um, she, she kind of did what she had to do to get out of her family situation when she was a younger girl and. Uh, you know, at the, at that time growing up, you, you get a husband, you know, she, then she went into another terrible situation with her first marriage and had to kind of flee. She, or her, her first husband was um, a, a criminal and her life was in danger. So she fled with her little son at the time, uh, my, my brother, and then moved back to Ohio, I think. And that was, she had, was out in California at that time. And then she moved back to Ohio and uh, eventually found, found my father, uh, who was also not um, anything delightful. And so then she kind of, I think probably what I would imagine um, her at that age, you know, being twice divorced now with two little children, she kind of uh, just did what she had to do. She turned to herself and started, you know, started working, doing odd jobs. Uh, when, when I was, when I was little, she had her own cleaning business. So she, she was, um, going around doing that. I would go with her a lot of times and, um, pretend those houses were mine and I would pick up my bedroom and, you know, all that fun stuff when you're a kid. And, um, and she just worked really hard. You know, she never, she never complained. She, you know, if she would put in the long hours, she would figure it out and she just did it, you know? So, so one of the main lessons I have learned from her is just that you just, you just do the work. You, you do what you need to do. You don't complain about your situation. You just make it better. And the only person that can make it better is you. I think she kind of came to that realization that stop relying on these outside sources and I'm going to create what I need myself. She eventually got a really good job at uh, putting the uh, real estate book together. We had like a little journal um, before the internet was a huge thing. And she, she like helped put that together. Um, and that started actually paying some adult money. And I remember her buying her first brand new car, which was a Saturn at the time that company was new at the time. And um, I just remember her like finally like feeling less anxiety from her. Cause I think she just didn't have, there wasn't such a worry of how am I going to pay the bills and how am I going to provide? And, you know, I just remember just her energy kind of switching at that time. You know, she, she kind of, it's like she made it, you know, she had something that she could rely on and um not have to worry about every single day. So she she was a really funny woman. She was always joking around, um always making me laugh. She would do she would she would do whatever I wanted. You know, if if we if I wanted to go out playing, if I wanted to do this or that or you know, she was she was just down for an adventure. Um one one, one particular thing that she would do was when I was upset she would say, okay, we're going for a drive in the car. So I'd get in the car and then she would just have me say left or right, like no matter when we would just end up somewhere, you know? So it was just, and we had a lot of really 
interesting times because it was in the car. It was like the safe space. And then I would kind of relax and open up. And it was her trick to like get me to tell her what was wrong because <laughs> I was really closed off as a kid. And um, and it worked every time, you know, and then we would end up having fun and end up somewhere weird and, you know, having a little adventure that way. So she was just a really, really smart, intuitive lady who um, just worked really hard for us. There's a lot of looking down people's noses at broken homes, you know, and the problem to, with kids today is if they just, you know, people wouldn't get divorced and everything will be fine. But you look at what's clearly now through my eyes at 2023, a multi-generational story. And again, you talk about the kind of men that your woman was, your woman, excuse me, your mom was drawn towards as a woman. Um, and then, you know, the, the childhood that she grew up in, there is this kind of domino effect. So, you know, we need to understand like the, the incredible things a lot of single parents do. And I was a single parent for a long time myself and my little boy. Um, when you talk about the father figure, I'm thinking about subconsciously the way my son watches me treat my wife now, you know, and, and I mean, obviously it was harder with his mother before because very long story, very short, there was infidelity. So it was irrebu um, unfixable through my eyes. You know, I wasn't going to kind of take that back. Um, so it wasn't a very great relationship that he really started becoming conscious of as he was three, four, five. But as a dad, I showed this young man, okay, this is, how you should be treated as, as a young man and also how you should treat other people. This is what love looks like. This is what affection looks like. Talk to me about the impact of not having a father figure through a young girl's eyes. Yeah, I think, um, I think about that a lot. You know, I've, I've thought about that a lot through, through the years and it's, it really makes a really huge impact. Um, and I, I think that the biggest thing is just not knowing what to look for, you know, what, what, or what's okay, like how to be treated, you know, what, what's okay to like, let people do to you or tr treat you like, you know, and because I didn't have, didn't have that example. And I think you're always, a child is always going to yearn for a parent that they don't have. And, and, in that daughter father relationship, I think you're constantly looking for that approval and love from a male that you didn't have. And it gets really distorted. It gets really distorted um, as, as a young girl. And then even on into my adulthood, like I, I'm what I got married at a very young age and I didn't have any idea what to look for in a husband and my husband at the time that I, that, that I had married, uh, we were friends, like we were kids, but we were friends, but none of the, none of the important things about, you know, <laughs> how to, how to hold a relationship together were in place at all. And so, you know, that it was, it was kind of like, almost dooming yourself to fail when you, when you have no idea what to look for, you know, and, um, and eventually that, that marriage did fail. And it wasn't like a huge surprise why. Um, but yeah, it, it makes a really big impact. I, I have, I think about it all the time because 
um, my, my daughter now, um, she had, she had her father for, for a bit till she was about, uh, 13. And then he, he tragically passed. Um, we had separated before that we had gotten divorced before that. And so that was a little spotty, but I think about that all the time now, you know, like I, and have massive guilt about repeating that for her, you know, because <laughs> that's not what you want for your kids. You want them to have everything so that they can, you know, become this whole person and then not make the same mistakes that you made. So, um, yeah, not, not having, not having a father figure for a daughter is, is a really big one. And I think, I think it's something that people don't always realize because it's like, oh, you know, fathers and daughters, they're not like super close, you know, daughters are closer to their mothers or things like that. But, um, but it, it really is because we need that. We, we, all of us, we need to understand and have the love from that female archetype and that male archetype. So when we don't have it, we're really off balance. And I think, I don't know, growing up that way, I definitely felt that. It was interesting now looking back at my relationship with my my first wife, um, because I mean, again, you talk about multi-generational trauma, her biological father packed up and left when she was five, just walked out the door, started a new family from scratch. So, you know, real piece of shit, to be honest. But her distorted perception of what a man should be was literally Prince Charming. I think when she met me and I was English and everything, there was this, oh, he's going to whisk me away. But in a relationship, it became very one-sided. Well, you're here. I'm the princess now, you know? And so it doesn't matter, you know, whether you go the wrong way and you end up with someone who's who's very abusive or if you go into a relationship thinking, that's it now. I'm made. I don't have to do anything anymore, which was kind of how that was, which is also equally detrimental Firstly, to the marriage, especially when you then, you know, the the, the woman decides to go find another prince <laughs> because this one, exactly. I guess, has become a toad or whatever it is. But um, <laughs> but you know, but also again, teaching these kids that relation a healthy relationship is a two way street. And of course, there's times where you know you you raise your partner up and vice versa. But but that's that's in an ideal world. And I think this is the hardest thing. And again, to push back on that. Well, if we just had families together. Well, if we just, you know, stuck to insert religion here, values, everything will be fine. No, you can't happen. You can't change the past. You can definitely grow from it and heal from it. But that's an entire, that's a child's entire reality that they know in those four walls until they finally get to meet someone or have an experience that makes them realize, oh, my entire world was actually wrong in this particular area. Yeah, I think it's I think it's so interesting, too, because now we're getting more familiarized with, you know, looking at looking at past trauma or looking at how we grew up. And and then there's more language and there's more opportunities to for people to try and actually do something about that. So they're not just like stuck there. And I think at that time when my parents got together, they were two people that had really, really horrific um childhoods and a ton of trauma and they were just these broken people that you didn't talk about it you just move on and you just try to make it work and so them coming together and having a little bit more knowledge of of their background it's it's like 
that that was almost never going to happen. You know, like that was never going to be a good situation because they both were just bringing all of all of this trauma to a relationship and not understanding even how that was manifesting in themselves. And um, it wasn't till years and years later, I, you know, as a teenager, my mother started going to therapy and uh, cause she, she was just having all this trouble and, and even therapy back then, like in the nineties and eighties and nineties was definitely different than it is now. I think people are understanding a lot more of how the brain works and, you know, how it affects the body and all of this kind of stuff. And so the way that she was being treated was just like, it was more just, it was more unhealthy in my opinion, because it just flooded her with all of the negative and all of the trauma, reliving it over and over again. And so a lot, a lot of nights, you know, she, I could just hear her crying in her room and she would just cry herself to sleep. And, um, and I knew that this was happening and I had little bits of information on, you know, what, what happened to her as a, as a kid. But um, so now I think it's so important that like, even before you approach a relationship or especially before children, I think there's a little bit more push to start going inward and, and figuring that stuff out before you start just giving it and, you know, to your kids and, and putting it in the relationship, which is, which is positive, um, but does take a lot of work. And um, you never really quite know like what you're, getting into with another individual, uh, in that sense, you know, you don't know if people are really doing the work or if they've just still got a lot buried and, um, cause it takes a long time to get through all of that. I had a couple of conversations with people that are in the kind of birth fit space and, you know, some of the other kind of, um, postpartum, uh, professionals. And when you get into the psychology and start unwrapping postpartum depression, there's a strong link again with childhood trauma. So one of the things that, that they both were talking about is if you're planning to have a child, obviously there's the physical conditioning and we'll get into that in a minute too, but also the psychological element. Like if you if you have things that you haven't faced and you're planning on having children, that's the perfect time to finally address it so that when you go through that, especially kind of with the body keeps the score element of the physiological impact of trauma, that is then going to obviously increase the chance of you not only having a healthy pregnancy, but not struggling mentally on the other end. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that was, that was something that I wasn't expecting uh, when I had my daughter. I, I, a lot of stuff like when you're raising a baby or, you know, and into, into toddlerhood and it, brings back certain things and certain emotions that you had no idea were even there. So if you haven't addressed it already before that, it's like a really rude awakening to all of a sudden be like in front of this toddler who you're trying to reason with or, you know, get them to do something. And that's just not going to happen. And it, it like triggers all this stuff from, from when you were small. So you really do have to get in front of that stuff. Um, beforehand for a much easier transition for everyone. You know, I, I remember that being a, um, a really big shock to me. Like I didn't 
I didn't want to deal with it because it was like at certain times it was just making it all of this, all of these thoughts that I didn't quite understand were kind of flooding in. Um, and then it wasn't till much later that I was realizing that, oh, th- that's because uh, this is the age I was when I was facing this situation. And, um, you know, I, I just couldn't handle it. So I just wanted to be away. Like I didn't even want to, I was like, give, I gave her to her dad. I'm like, you take care of her. Like I couldn't do it, you know? So it was, uh, yeah, that, that it's a really interesting, it's a, it's a, it's a real eye opener when you have little ones that all of a sudden, like you're facing yourself, you know, at those ages. It's, it's amazing. These conversations, I'm loving it. This is why this early part of life, you know, these interviews are so important, I think, because it's who it's what made us who we are today. So on that vein, obviously, we're going to get into strength and conditioning. When you were school age, what were you playing or doing as far as sports? I I was playing at home. So I so growing up, I was kind of in this like closed society, very religious based upbringing. And so I couldn't do sports. I wasn't allowed to like do anything like that. I was I was very active as a child. So I remember wanting to do, I I remember just dying to play soccer in school and, and do gymnastics. I wanted to do that so bad. So I would do my own versions, you know, at home, like in the backyard. (laughs) Um, so I was, I was really active kid. Um, I was, I was strong for a kid. I was a gangly, skinny little girl, but I was strong for my age. I I remember one time when we were moving apartments, I had picked up a big box and one of my mom's friends came over and like picked it up to to move it again. And he was like, you just picked this up. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, why? You know? And so I think I just, I, I maybe just had that genetically. I was just a strong kid and could do a lot of things. And so I didn't get to like be formally trained in much, but, um, you know, I, I had fun trying to figure it out on my own. <laughs> so what about career aspirations? Again, school age, obviously towards the end of it, you were nursing your mother, but what were you dreaming of becoming? I had, um, I had sights on, you know, maybe doing something in the art world or, um, I remember wanting to be a mechanic for some reason. (laughs) Um, I didn't really know is what the answer is. I had a lot of really different um, interests always. I've always had a lot of really varying interests. I remember really liking architecture and like taking a class on that and um, just, just all different kinds of things. So being raised how I was careers were never really a big, um, they weren't a, they, it was like, just do whatever to make money. Like it doesn't matter because really you're supposed to just serve God and put all your energy into that. So, um, as a young adult, I was still in that religion and, um, that was really my main focus at the time. I've, I've always been a person that is, if I'm doing something or I believe something that I'm all in. I'm not like half-assed about it. So I was, I was really gung-ho in um, that way of thinking. So I didn't really have, I did, I did a lot of different things. I, you know, I was a photographer for the real estate book for a while. Um, I, I had my own house cleaning business for a bit. 
Um, I was a nanny for, for a long time. And I just kind of like went in and out of, you know, different kind of odd jobs for, for quite a while. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, my daughter was, how old was she? She was just a baby. Um, and I went to hair school because my husband at the time had lost his job. And so I know I needed to do something and I always did my friend's hair and stuff like that. So then I got into that and, um, started doing that more full time. So when did you start getting into strength and conditioning? If you, if you didn't have that traditional sports route? Yeah. Um, I got into it super, super strangely, I guess, because I'd always, I'd always exercised. I'd always, you know, like you're supposed to take care of yourself you know, kind of thing. My mom, my mom, um, struggled with her weight, uh, all through my, uh, adolescence. So she, was always on yo-yo diets. She was always doing, you know, whatever latest exercise trend was. And so I would do that with her. So I understood the premise of you have to exercise. I never had a weight problem as a kid or young, young adult, but, um, wanted to stay healthy. So I, I did that for a while. I went to some, some different, you know, just regular, uh, little gyms around and then mostly just worked out at home. And it wasn't until it was 2009, 2010, I think, I found Wolf Brigade uh, through a friend of a friend. Um, I was I was in a particularly tough time in my life. I had uh, my husband and I had split up um, and. I had kind of just lost everything. I I was I was out of work because I was working for him at the time. And I was just in a really, really deep state of depression. And I knew that I needed to do something for myself because I had my little daughter that I needed to take care of. So it was there was never I wanted to just give up and quit and just go away, but I knew that I couldn't because I had this little daughter that I was responsible for. And at the time her dad was nowhere to be found. So I decided, okay, well, if I, if I eat healthy and exercise a bit, then maybe that will make me feel better. So it was, it was just kind of a reach in the dark for anything. So I walked into Wolf Brigade and right away I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I felt the first um, time I did it. And I've been exercising for about yeah, 30 years. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, I think that's kind of the sentiment with everybody that walks in the doors. Um, at the time, it was in this tiny room in this weird art building downtown. And I walk in and, you know, I, I met Greg. I met a couple other people. You know, everyone was very nice. Uh, everybody was super excited to see me. And so I just kind of watched watched things for a little bit. And then, you know, Greg asked me some questions and, uh, one of, one of our members, Matt was assigned to explain to me what was going on. And I just remember being really confused because it looked really interesting. There was a lot of people in there that were all over the board in like skill level and body type and age, all of that. Uh, but everybody seemed to be doing the same thing. It looked interesting. So that 
that started me on my strength and conditioning path. I, I remember a few months in lifting something that I couldn't, that I had tried before and couldn't do. It was a deadlift and it like totally changed everything, how I saw about what strength was because I'd always been strong. I could do things, but I never knew I could get stronger. (laughs) I never, that never like dawned on me, you know, before when I was lifting weights or doing things, it was just like, Oh, this is just good for my muscles. And so that was, that was a real light bulb moment. And that was kind of like, Oh, this is really cool. You can, you can get better at this. And even though it was just like exercising to me still then it, it was catching my interest because I would, I would hear Greg cue someone or he would cue me. He would tell me to do something a tiny bit different. And then all of a sudden it would feel completely different than what I was doing before. Like I was doing a totally different movement, but just with a tiny detail applied. And I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what he was seeing. I didn't understand what he was looking at. And I wanted to, cause it was really interesting to me. Um, so that, that was kind of like my, my start into it. Um, after that, I just, I, I started kind of hanging around in classes that I wasn't participating in just to kind of watch and listen and try to start figuring out what was happening because <laughs> I just really had no clue. It was so interesting to me that the human body has always been a really, um, you know, a powerful thing to me. Like I've always been kind of amazed at what people can do, um, why some people can do things and other people can't like how it moves, you know, how it functions. The whole thing was always, it has always been kind of fascinating to me. So just being able to sit there and watch and listen and learn was, um, was fascinating and, and really thrilling for me. So after a while, I think Greg just kind of started, seeing my interest in it and that I wasn't the type to be like, I want to tell people what to do, uh, which never makes a great trainer. So would have me go over to somebody and say, and tell them what to do. You know, he'd say, okay, go over to so-and-so and and just let them know that they need to put their feet here. And so be like, okay, okay. You know, and so I would go do that. And um, so it was, it was kind of like this unofficial uh, apprenticeship, you know, for a few years. And at the time I had, I didn't have a, a, like a full, full full-time job. So I had more time to kind of help out at the gym. It was always just him at, you know, at the gym, we had a few different, you know, trainers kind of, kind of come up and then they would leave or things wouldn't work out. And as we were growing, we moved locations a couple of times in that period. We just needed help. And the place was important to me. And the things that I was learning about myself there were uh, were life-changing. And so I really felt indebted to the place and just wanted to do as much as I could for it. So that's kind of like how I got into it. I never had sights on becoming a coach or, you know, leading strength and conditioning classes or anything like that. It just kind of really naturally happened um, because of where I was mentally and physically at the time and what what finding wolf brigade actually did for me 
as you progressed through and became not only a phenomenal athlete, but obviously coaching this this amazing system, you had very little uh, traditional sporting background. You had obviously the fragility emotionally just because of the dynamic and then ultimately losing your mother. Was there a sense of forging strength, not only exteriorly, but but interior as well? Yeah, a- absolutely. The 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 flip side of the coin of 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 sitting there and listening to class um was listening to Greg's um dictation of the board but what the lesson kind of was for the day um back then he would spend a minute or two with a concept or a thought that would apply mentally for us and how we could maybe, you know, adapt that into our lives and and help in other areas. And that's when I started to see that this training wasn't just we're keeping our bodies healthy. It was it was showing us um, what we could do mentally and what we could do with our lives outside of the gym doors. And that was the that was the biggest hit for me because I was in this place where I was totally lost. I was at rock bottom. I had no love for myself, no self-confidence. And these little things that I was proving to myself in the training room that I could do hard things that I could learn, I could adapt, I could get through something tough. Um, was starting to give me these building blocks on this foundation where I could start to go outside of the gym and say, okay, I don't really know where my life is going and this is really tough and this is really scary, but I know that I can do this other thing. So I might be able to figure this out too. So why not just start taking that step and giving it a try? And so that that's the stuff that really stuck with me. And that's the stuff that I cared most about. You know, I would see other people um, come in that had, you know, anxiety issues or, you know, these like kind of debilitating, you know, mental things that they were dealing with. And over, over a period of a few months and then a year, like they were completely different individuals, you know, and, and that's what I cared about. I never cared about a six pack or, you know, looking a certain way or that, that, that physical exterior, it, it, like, that's nice. That's great. But what was important to me and why I love doing this is because it was like helping people in ways that like, we just needed so badly in the society. You know, we just, people are screaming practically to, have an opportunity to prove to themselves that they can do something, you know, that they're, that they're worthwhile in these ways. And, and this is a way to do it. So that that's, that's the part that really got me hooked forever. And, and what I really love about this work, because yeah, it's strength and conditioning. We lift weights, we do this, but it's, it's really just so much more than that. 
when I started doing CrossFit, I was t- talking to Greg about this. It was, I think, 06, 07. I always forget which exact year, but it was before it was cool, as they say. So when well, yeah. I first moved back to Florida, I was doing it in the YMCA, getting all these funny looks from all these people and smirks from the high school kids with the cutoff shirts and all that stuff. Um, but then I ended up joining Iron Legion. And obviously, you know, Ted and those guys that come up to Convergence. And I finally realized, ah, this is actually what CrossFit's about. I've been doing it right-ish. Some of the movements were, were not correct, but not bad for someone just trying to pull it off YouTube at that time. But when I got into the CrossFit space, not only Adam, our coach at the time, was phenomenal and showing me that, you know, for example, my cleans were wrong. First time he told me to keep it close to my body, I almost pulled my wiener off with the bar by mistake. So yeah, you learn through your pain. <laughs> but uh but it was the tribal element. It was that being a part of something, which I find in jujitsu, obviously in the fire service as well. But when we transition out of these professions in uniform, it's important that we find that. And I just don't think you get that from working your way through the machines with your headphones on in, you know, in a globo gym, if you want to use that term. Was that tribal element a big part of uh, your Wolf Brigade experience as well? It definitely was. Uh, like I said, I was, I, I was, I had left the religion that I was in. So that was my whole uh, little circle. That that was my whole bubble support. That was my community. And so when I decided to leave that, I, re- I really had nothing. I had uh, in, in, in that situation, all of the friends, all of the family, uh, chosen family that I had my whole life was gone in an instant because if you leave, then you're gone. You're no one will talk to you. So, you know, I, I I had nothing, I had no one around me and these people that I was, you know, coming in and sweating with and laughing with, and then, you know, going back home, you know, started really becoming this family that I needed. And the interesting part about it is it's like, I, I think about it now and, and, you know, it's, it's, fairly common for people in these gym communities like they're the people that i'm closest with and have come to really become now my family are people that i would never have even talked to people that i don't really even have a lot of in in common with most of the time you know and um but it's 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 all the superficial stuff pushed aside when you normally meet someone. It's like, oh, they kind of dress like I do. They like the same music, you know, we'll have something in common. And it's like that stuff like matters so little in really connecting with a human being. And so the stuff in here, when you're, when you are suffering through something and you see that person next to you and they look at you and they're just like, okay, you know, like we're going to suffer through this together and I've got you that's, that's more meaningful and you have more connection there than anything, you know, than any song that you both like or anything like that. So the, that tribal, that community that I found here, and then from here going, spreading elsewhere, like, like Iron Legion, you know, in Florida and, you know, places in, uh, all over really that we've found people that have that like mind and like spirit like all of a sudden your community has grown exponentially and you have people all over. I think about traveling. I like to do road trips. And whenever I do that, 
I just look at the map and find all of these spots where I can kind of stop and visit friends. And it may not even be people that I've, you know, really developed close relationships with, but I know that I can stop there and, and visit and have a nice time because we have this, this, these like minds, we have the, the really important stuff in common. So that really opened up my world to, to, instead of just like this really tiny little community. Now I, I have this huge worldwide community that I could go and, and, and trust the people because there's also now, you know, lines back, you know, there's that accountability. I know you, I, he knows you. And so it's a, it's a really, really beautiful thing to, to open up a world like that. I was telling Greg when we did our interview that I was going to start doing Wolf Brigade programming, which I have. It hasn't been as frequent as I would like because life's just kind of had, you know, there's been a whole bunch of stuff going on with uh, my wife. She's in med school and a lot of stress and some breakdowns and things. But, you know, consistently doing it and only doing it, that and then the the class that I teach at Iron Legion, I always do that with my athletes as well. And the goal was to first test it at the Hero Challenge, which is a 9-11 tribute fundraising workout that um, one of my previous departments puts on. And the firstly, the programming was amazing. I mean, I'm almost 50 now. My partner's 30, how old is Casey? 36. So we did it in the under 40s division because I refused to go up to the, the older one. You know, if you're a firefighter, you're a firefighter. You shouldn't have to have divisions. Exactly, exactly. Um, yes. But, and it definitely, it definitely paid off. But it wasn't, it was kind of, Sometimes the programming is a lot more, you know, sandbags and sleds and a lot more firefighter based. Something happened with this one where the dynamic stayed very CrossFit in the end. So it was a lot of warbles and barbell movements okay. and stuff. So I don't think I really was a fair test of the programming specifically. Sure. But shared suffering in this building, there was 160 people, I think teams, 160 people total. Um, and, uh, you know, you talk about camaraderie in the fire service this is it. And you see that in Iron Legion. You see that in Wolf Brigade. And when you see the bar being lowered in first responder professions, and I know Greg's got some frustrations with some of the law enforcement people that walk through your doors, but also our reg just, just our environment now is becoming less and less um, stressful, you know, the external stressors. I see that as hugely detrimental to community. Um, so talk to me about that through your eyes, you know, as we've become, um, more comfortable and had to interact less, I mean, not just recently, but over the last few decades, what have you witnessed about that versus that shared suffering that you see people bound together by in Wolf Brigade? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really becoming apparent nowadays, you know, um, you, go to the grocery store or you just w walk down the street and people are unattuned to themselves, to what's around them because we've gotten really accustomed to just not having to worry about much, which is nice, right? We don't want to have to be running for our lives every second, but we've, we've gone almost so far over the, over the edge that, you know, people just don't care about anything anymore. Nothing is important. Um, and the, the difference that I see, you know, from people that I hang out with or people that, you know, from, from your gym or other places that are, are doing this, this kind of work 
they are crisp. They're aware because your, your body and your mind, they go through all of these things in an hour when, when you're, when you're in this, in this environment where you're working hard, you're putting your body and your mind through these things. Like you work through so many things so that you have this appreciation, even when you're just walking down the street or you you have this awareness of self and your environment and appreciation of, of others and of everything that's around you. And I think it's makes such a big difference, you know, like, someone from some our place is always going to hold the door open for somebody else. You know, they, they go somewhere, they're going to help somebody if they drop something they're, they're going to engage in their community or in their environment, wherever they are. And you see that be the opposite with everyone else. You know, people are looking at their phones. They're not even noticing that you're behind them. They're they they watch something terrible happen, you know. Uh, or film and, it even, and, so they can put it on the yeah, ground. Yeah, exactly. Stay away from it. They they're they're viewing the world that they're living in almost like a TV show, and like they're not part of it. And I think that's where the degradation of society is, is coming from. Because while well, that and a lot of other things, but when when you don't feel like you are a part of something, when you're not contributing anything to your environment, like why, why would you care? You know? And so we become so far apart and we're all in our little homes and we're right next door to each other, all feeling alone. And when really we could just walk out the door and go check on your neighbor or, you know, go give, you know, the guy down the street, uh, you know, whatever he was looking for, you know, the week before, or, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's no, there's just no engagement in community and the people around us, um, in general society anymore. And I, I think it's because they, they were car comfortable. They, don't do the hard stuff and they don't have to engage. Um, and so it just kind of shuts your senses down. And I think with what we're doing, um, it heightens those senses and you, you start to feel and get engaged. And I, I think that's, that's a really, really, really important thing. And it's such a shame to lose that. You think about society a long, long time ago, everyone was, working together like it really was like com actual communities it wasn't just like a family in their home on the same street as someone else like it was communities working together and um and that's what we've lost but in here in these environments you start to remember that and it gets fostered because we're all helping each other it's like oh if after class if someone uh, actually it was this this past winter i think um one of our members went out to her car and her, her tire was flat. There was five people out there within a couple minutes and changed the tire, got everything all squared away for her. And, and, and like, that's like such a beautiful, <laughs> tiny little example, but it's so beautiful because if she was at Wegmans, she not, nobody would have helped her, you know, like she would have had to wait an hour for AAA to get there and then, you know, figure it out. So yeah, I, 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 I think 
what we're doing here translates into so much more than just physical fitness. It's, it's, it's our communities and way of life that's being, um, you know, brought into these really beautiful places. The real kind of, what's the right way of saying this? It's easy to say, you know, oh, people today and they kind of tar a lot of people with the same brush. What I've realized, and there's so many videos of this, um, is because people are so distracted, they just need that first person. And I've, as someone actually said, a great example of, in a conversation a while ago now, the first follower. So you have the first person that says, let's do this. But it's the next person that then goes to them that really opens the floodgates because then there's two people and like, okay, let's all go. But you see that, you know, the, the car is rolled over and someone's trapped and the person goes over and then all of a sudden the people that were paralyzed for a second go and you've still got the asshole that's just going to stand there and film it or, you know, just for whatever reason. But I think most people do want that and it just takes them looking up from their phone or snapping out from that paralyzed state because there's a fight in front of them rather than just banding together and pulling the two people apart. They just stand and watch and, you know, film and jeer and, and that mob mentality can go the other way, like in schools. So for me, the more areas that are putting that leadership back, whether it's gyms, jujitsu schools, you know, whatever is a progressive church that actually is asking the people to do the same things outside the walls and they preach about inside. Um, you know, that's what we need again, because that's who we are as people. That's what human beings are. But when we have people that stand in D.C. that are selfish assholes from both sides, what does that do to the rest of the population? It excuses them to act the same way. So we have to realize that back in the day, for example, a president or a prime minister was a revered position. Now, maybe actually the one that you respect is your kid's jujitsu coach or you know, whoever it is, your, your bank manager that's always kind to you, whatever, those are the real humans. And a title doesn't necessarily mean leadership. It's the people that actually roll up their sleeves and try and do good in the world that we should be emulating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that is that is super clear today. I mean, and people, it boggles my mind that people are even arguing about, you know, politics and, you know, all this kind of stuff and this side and that side. And it, it because it's so clear, it's all the same thing, you know, who, who cares? <laughs> I don't care if you're blue or red or whatever the hell, like it's, it's not, it's not them against each other. It's not parties against each other. It's, it's them against us. It's, you know, it's the political leaders against uh, like society and, and regular normal people because they're fine. They're, they've got all they've got all their money. They've got their big houses. They're fine. They don't really care. They just want more of it. So they do whatever they need to. Um, but it's it's the people that are suffering from from that hypocrisy and corruption that that is rampant in the political world. So it really is time. Like I mean, I I I. You can almost see it, um, you know, in in little facets when you're looking around, like you can almost see a time, hopefully, when the majority of the people are starting to wake up and take action and like not fall for these tricks anymore, but to like really start assessing themselves and what their role is in society and and starting to step up and starting to um you know come into these come into these places so i mean 
that's my hope, obviously. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see what comes. Uh, people can be interesting in, in that way, you know, like even it doesn't matter how apparent something is, sometimes people will just still put the blinders right on. So, um, so, and that's why I think it's important for, you know, people like you and I, and um, the, the people that can, can see things and aren't afraid to just say, Hey, you know, maybe think for yourself, or maybe, you know, you can figure this out for yourself. Don't be so reliant on the system and, you know, all of the things like we're, we're so capable of so many like insane things if we're together, you know, if, if, if we're separated, like they're keeping us, then we can't really accomplish much. But if we are together and work in harmony with each other, because all we want is the same thing. We, we want to be happy. We want to raise our families the way we want to. Uh, we want to be able to provide for ourselves. And like, I think that's the other thing that kind of gets me confused sometimes because, you know, you have people, you have people, neighbors bickering and bickering, fighting and over, over these things. And it's like, where, where are the political leaders right now? They're, they're not anywhere even near you. Like you guys can, you guys are, want the same thing. <laughs> so it's just, it's just a matter of, I think, um, you know, p- putting our egos aside, which is also something that is easier learned in these environments, <laughs> because if you don't, uh, it's, it, it gets really, really tough to get through anything, you know, in, in these, in these walls. So you kind of have to put that, that ego aside and either, you know, scale the weight or, you know, do, do whatever you need to do to be able to get through it. And so that also helps translate into, you know, putting your ego aside outside of here and doing what you need to do to help others or be, or be used in whatever way that you need to, to like help the community which I think is an important piece of that puzzle. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the community, then let's dive into the actual Wolf Brigade philosophies and principles. I want to bring up the female athlete, not just because you're a, a female coach. Obviously, you know you are able to lift a huge amount more than me. You're able to swing certainly heavier maces than me. There's a lot of female athletes that kick my ass in my gym on a daily basis. So it's not about that. But there are a lot of um, kind of, prejudices that when I was young, oh, women can only do this. Oh, don't don't lift weights, you'll get too big. I mean, all this bullshit, you know, before we started watching MMA fighters destroying, you know, people on, on screen and <laughs> jujitsu and, you know, CrossFit and all these other things, mud runs. And so what are some of the common myths that you see female athletes walk through the doors with? And then talk to me about some of the kind of the commonalities on their journeys. Um, the, I think the most common things that I see, uh, people worried about, um, are that they're, they're, they're worried about hurting themselves. One, um, this is, looks scary and intimidating. And so very few people have the awareness of how strong they actually are when they even work first walk through the door because of that stereotype. Women aren't strong you know, women can't do certain things. And so even if we don't necessarily believe that or having people tell us that you grow up like that and thinking like that. So, you know, you see somebody moving something that looks like it's heavy 
you automatically reject it and like people will pick up like the tiniest kettlebell and I'm, I just look at them and I'm like, no, pick that. And they're like, I can't pick that up. And so I think underestimating just baseline strength many times is the thing. And then, and then what you touched on is that, um, you know, women don't want to get bulky. They think they're going to get big and muscly and, you know, look like men. And so combating that is usually pretty simple because none of those things are true. And, you know, it just, it, I, I, I usually don't go too far into like a rant with things. I just say, no, that's not true. <laughs> you know, like it just isn't, you know, if, if, if a woman wants to look like a man, you have to do a whole lot of work to do that. You know, like you've got to be, you've got to be lifting all the weights. You've got to be eating a ton. You've got to be, you know, supplementing all these crazy things because our, our bodies just aren't going to do that naturally. You know, like we'll get muscle. Sure. Um, but, and I, it's, we're not going to look like men because we're women. So, um, that won't happen. And, uh, and I think the, the first dispelling of, um, your week is I usually just have people pick something up that they don't think that they can, um, not anything crazy, of course, but, uh, when, when they first come in here for, you know, private lessons or for, or to like go through their introductory sessions, if they're joining the gym, um, it's a really good time to kind of see how people move. And if, if people have a good understanding of what they're doing and we're practicing something, learning something, then I'll have, I'll have them do it with something light. And then I'll be like, okay, do it with this. And most of the time with women, they look at me and like, I'm crazy. And I'm like, go ahead, you know, just with complete confidence and they do it. And I think that surprise that it's even maybe doesn't even feel that heavy that they thought it would, um, like gives them all the confidence that they need to be, to like, just kind of put that fear or that thought out of their head, you know, cause it's, you show that you show somebody once that they can do something that they never thought they could do. And it's, 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 it's over from there, you know, then sky's the limit. So that's a big one. <laughs> well, with the looking like a man thing, I've been lifting and I'm 49 years old and I still haven't got there yet. And I am a man. So <laughs> for all the ladies out there, if you just train normally, you're never yeah. going to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really just are, are I mean, despite what, you know, <laughs> certain people tell you, um, women's bodies are different. And so we, you know, we respond to the stimulus and, and it's, it's actually super, super needed because, you know, like a through aging and, you know, bone density and all this stuff, like you need to lift weights. Like everyone needs to lift weights. It's not even like a, an extracurricular activity that should be looked upon as like a, you know, uh, a choice, you know, like it shouldn't be a choice. Like you need to lift weights to keep your body moving and stay healthy for as long as you possibly can. Otherwise you're just going to start deteriorating really early. And so I think I try to, I think I try to, um, drive that point home that this isn't, this isn't, you know, like some extra thing that is fun. I mean, it's, it's fun and you can do these things, but it should just be done. You, everyone needs to do this. So, 
Well, with a lot of the more natural movements as well, I found that in my class I do um, sleds and sandbags and or credit another firefighter who came in and did a strongman class for a few weeks. And it was just a case of try this one, try this one. And again, you know, the sandbag, obviously the limiting factor is getting it off the floor. Once you can get it in that bear hug, you can normally carry more. But um, that dispelled some of my, oh, this is as heavy as I can do. But the other day in the programming, your programming, it was a double kettlebell clean to three front squats. And I'd never done that with any amount of real weight. So I started on like 45s and I'm like, okay, let me work up 53, 60, and then 70. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, double <laughs> double 70s. And then it was like, if we had more, I could probably have done yeah. you know, 80 probably would have been the ceiling, but we don't have them yet. And I've got to, I got to start getting heavier in bells now, especially for the you know, the the um, deadlifts and those kind of things, but again, male or female, that that belief, and I see it so many times. And don't get me wrong, if you're doing an overhead squat, yes, go start with the BVC pipe. If you can't move properly, don't even add weight. But yes. you know, a, a a natural body movement, and the sandbags one that I'll get people kind of being pussies about, and I'll tell them, all right, I'm going to get a box, I'm going to put it on the box, pick it up and carry it, and take it over there. And once you debunk that myth in someone's mind, it opens this whole new kind of level that they now realize, okay, I did it. I didn't get hurt. And now there's 20% more confidence than I had, you know, 24 hours ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really, really exciting to see people, to see that light bulb go off in people, you know, and then and then their, their trust in you starts building because you're, you're doing it in a safe way. I had yesterday, I had, um, uh, one of our members sons I work with and he's, uh, 15. Um, and he's a real shy kid. He's doing hockey and he's, he's awesome. He's so great. He listens so well and just wanted, wanted to come in because he just wants to be able to play hockey better and he wants to be stronger. And, um, I think he's like a little bit on the smaller side of, uh, you know, the, the, his class and stuff. So yesterday he's been making remarkable strides since he's been coming in. And yesterday I had him do some, do some kettlebell deadlifts. So we started, I was like, we're going to do two at a time. And because he kind of, he kind of leans towards that, like, oh, that's too heavy. Um, you know, I can't do that. So I was like, okay, we're going to do two deadlifts at a time. So we got up to I think, I mean, he said he weighs like, he's like a little over a hundred pounds. And so we got up to the 106 and he lifted it twice. And like the look on his face was like, cause I pulled it out and I put it in front of him and he just looked at me like, what am I going to do with that? And I was like, okay, do everything we just did with that 97, you know, like put your brace on, make a fat belly, hold your breath. And he lifted it twice and just kind of like laughed to himself, you know, and I said, did you think you could do that? And he said, no, <laughs> I said, you're really strong. You got to start realizing you're really strong. And he was just like, really kind of taken back. And, and, but what that does for a person, you know, any age, um, it, it's remarkable, you know, like you had somebody proves to you that you are way stronger than you think you are. So what are you going to tell yourself next time you think you're not strong, you know, or, or in a situation that you think you can't handle, you know, cause you probably can. So it's, it's just a really, really cool light bulb to go off. <laughs> With the social media side, 
you know, there's, for example, Wolf Brigade, you know, there's never any of this, you know, look how much I can lift going on. It's just showing classes and movements. And, you know, I think um, the most recent one I've seen Matt doing is with a, a gallon full of water with all the, the movements yeah. they're doing there. Yeah. But I also think that where Instagram really screws people up is you get these elite performers, forget even the bodybuilders, because that's, you know, that's an it's entire separate group of people. But the elite performers and you have these world champion Olympic lifters and these strong men and women. And and I think some, to some that can inspire, but I think to many, they're like, well, I'll never be able to do that. So why even bother? So what I love about having that real world discovery in the gym is you remind people, look, that's been their whole life for 20 years. Probably never going to get there, and that's okay. But let's work on your capacity and get you to as strong as you can be with the work that you're willing to put in. Because I don't want to be in the gym all day. That sounds super boring to me. So, right, exactly. I think dispelling you know that modern day social media Insta highlight bullshit and actually just showing a human being, like you know, when we pick up 200 pound sandbags, I'm like, you just picked up a human being off the floor, picked them up into right. the to the air, and walk 50 meters with them. There's not many really people yeah. that can do that. So when you put it into that, they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then I'll tell them, you know, dragging dragon sleds is one of my favorite ones because I'll say, all right, you know, to my responders, you're pulling someone out of a fire. You're pulling your partner out of a fire. And I'll tell some of the people I know that just have breakups. I'm like, you're pulling your ex into a fire. Okay, use that as fuel. <laughs> but either way, <laughs> either way, you're putting, <laughs> you're putting the human element on and you're making them realize you're not just moving a piece of steel. When you put it into real world, like that young boy, you just literally picked yourself off the floor twice. That, yeah. that I think, reframes it the same way as, you know, the first handstand or a rope climb in CrossFit is so much more right. powerful than moving a pin one notch down in, in a bodybuilding gym. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, that, that, that does do a lot for people. I, I use that same analogy with another client of mine. She did a, she did a I don't know, a heavy sled drag, and it was about my weight. And she was kind of like, you know, oh, that was really hard. And I don't know why I'm doing this. And we had previously talked about going for a hike or something like that. And I said, I said, well, now you know that if we go for that hike and I break my leg, you can pull me back to where to the car. And she was like, oh, that's <laughs> like, that's really useful. You know, like that's a really useful skill. So I, I, I do. I like to think about things like that as well. Just like equating that to a person or what they could do with that. Because I mean, to your point, people watch, watch Instagram, like it's a, like it's a TV show and don't ever apply anything to themselves. And even when people are doing something remarkable, that is still just a person. (laughs) It's just a person. Like they're not an alien. They're not, they're not any different than you or I. They've just put the work in. They wanted to do something. So they put the work in. That's it, you know? And it's, yes, of course, there's, you know, exceptions to the rule and everything. There's some phenomenal people out there. But, but really, in reality, if, you know, Jane walks in the door and really wants to be able to do something, you can do it. You just have to put the work in, you know, it's not like, people aren't born this way. You know, it's just <laughs> you, they work a really long time to be able to do stuff. So, and, and in that same vein, 
I, I think what I what I like about you know at, at any given day in here, you know, there's you know people are working their ass off, and sometimes I'll like look over at Greg or another coach, and I'm just like make this face and like point to the class because it's a marvel to witness what's going on in there on a Tuesday, you know, people come in after work, like they've done all of their day, they're tired. And then they do these incredible things and it's math teachers and accountants. And, you know, this, these aren't professional athletes and, this isn't happening other places, you know? And so it's just, I think part of my joy about the community that we have in here is just being able to witness what happens here on a daily basis and, and really take it in because it, it doesn't happen in other places. You know, I think the people here and even I myself take it for granted sometimes that um, this really is a truly special place. And it, this, people aren't doing this, you know, all over the world, you know, it's just little, little pockets. So to, to really be uh, proud of that, you know, that we can be part of something like this and, um, and, and keep it going. I had a moment when I was coaching on Monday and in that particular class is very, very dynamic. Sometimes I'll have, you know, 10, 12 people and sometimes it'll be one. And this guy's a, a prison guard. He's an army reservist as well. So Love him a bit. He always puts the work in. Absolutely sucks that Sandbag carries. I think it's his breathing. I mean, he's built like a spark plug, but there's something about Sandbag. He can deadlift, you know, I think like 500 or something, but a 100-pound Sandbag gives him problems for 200 meters. But we're doing overhead yoke carries, which we hadn't done for a while. And we did the first lap. It's like 100 degrees out in Florida. And as we're rounding the corner, there's a couple... One gentleman is smoking. He's a little bit overweight. The 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 his wife or girlfriend is is quite considerably heavier. Super sweet. I think they're you know overseeing their kids in the gym. So massive kudos to them. But at that moment, I was like, this is either end of the spectrum. And the only difference, and this is why I want to be so fair, because there's so many people out there that kind of look their down down their nose. Well, if people just you know were like me, then it'll be fit. The environment. Again, we talked about, you know, the, the childhood and everything, especially COVID. COVID underlined just how little people give a shit at the moment about creating an environment for health because they shut everything that made healthy down and they delivered everything that was shit to people's houses while they told them to stay inside. But the only difference, like you said, between those two humans and the humans that, you know, me and my partner that were doing the, the workout at the time was simply the journey that they'd been up to that point. And that was really empathetically sad because those two people could easily have been the other two people in my class you know what i mean so yeah. this is this is what breaks my heart is there's such a either a complete zero ownership conversation like they 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 need to do everything for me or again it's all about discipline if you just woke up at five you'd be like me which is also bullshit but the environment yeah. that you put around people that then enables them to make healthier choices because that's the majority of the choices in your town it's all healthy and the local farms are being supported the kids are doing uber amounts of pe and recess that is a huge part of the conversation that you don't hear people say so yeah you can walk into crossfit or wolf brigade and see phenomenal adults but i would argue that most of us are healthy despite the environment not because of it 
Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, there, there's some people that um, here and just people that I know in general that really have to work hard to combat the environment that they are living in. Um, and, and, and it's, it's their choice. It's, it's, it's something that's in them that they decided to do. And I I've seen the, I've seen this, I've seen the opposite as well. You know, the, the people's, people's friendships, um, you know, who they're hanging out with, uh, the kind of people that they are associating with all the time, um, make a really, really big impact on them. And even when it means people's very lives, even when people are obese, uh, sick, you know, all of these things where they could really fall into a life-threatening illness or situation at any time, it, it, it's one of the most heartbreaking experiences as a trainer to watch those people just be pulled back into that environment, knowing that they have support in this other environment, um, but they just don't choose to do it, you know, and, and whether it's still because of maybe, you know, more inner dialogue because of how they grew up or, you know, they haven't, they haven't healed from certain things and don't, don't put the worth in themselves that, that there should be. It's, it's still heartbreaking because, um, you know, when someone comes to me and they have an issue like that or anything, I I'm here because I, I want to help. And when it becomes, you care more about that person than they do, then it's the scales are totally flipped, you know, and, and it, and it, becomes this really unhealthy relationship. And, and, and that's happened here. That's happened here a couple of times. And it's something that I've really had to learn from, you know, because I had to, I had to find my self-worth. I had to figure that out for myself too, you know, at, we all do at some point. Um, and, you know, ha- having the things um, that I had to deal with growing up and, you know, into my adulthood, it, you, you have to make a choice at some point, you know, it's, it's always a choice. You make the choice for yourself or you don't. And, um, I'm always rooting for people that they will make the choice for themselves because it's never too late. You know, like those two people that were sitting, that were sitting there, um, you know, maybe they went home and decided, Hey, what are we doing? You know, like we're in this place, like, this is amazing. We need to start choosing ourselves. You know, we need to start doing something for ourselves better and maybe be a better example for our son or whoever was in there. And so it's like, that's what I hope for, you know, like when people walk in here, uh, you know, they maybe you could smell smoke on them, this or that or whatever. It's like, I never have that as like, okay, well they're, they're, you know, there's no use in them or it's pointless to help them because you just never know what the catalyst is that's going to help somebody start to choose themselves. And so, I don't know, I think that's why we also, we have such a wide array of people in here because that's kind of what's happened, you know? That's one thing I've seen a lot in the kids of a lot of the the athletes and coaches in Iron Legion. They just watch them 
emulating their parents and it's beautiful and they're constantly moving they're swinging on the ropes and depending on if there's a class going on that's a good thing or a bad thing but yeah. <laughs> um you know but they end up just you know being a healthy child and they're moving and that doesn't mean that they're all jacked and everything but they're not overweight and they're not hunched over at 12 years old but then conversely there's a lot of stories where the parents like you said initially brought their children to jujitsu to to iron legion and then ultimately they dove in and they ended up becoming in much better shape so it was their kids that were leaders so i agree with you completely and that again underlines the environment conversation the more exposure to positive health elements whether it's farmers markets whether it's you know the they built a uh, um, exercise equipment around the the lake that we have where i live and so there's now pull-up bars and dip bars and all those and i see people using them even if it's some of the kind of wanky hydraulic ones that really don't do a whole lot it's still yeah. it's getting people moving so that is the environment conversation you know there will always be that whatever percent that come hell or high water, like the prisoners that do all the the burpees, you know, they're in right. solitary and they're still working out. That's that group. But the way you get the middle group is you create an environment that is encouraging for them to make better choices. You know, subconsciously, it's not even a deliberate thing. You know, if there's not McDonald's and liquor stores in every corner, there's a, a higher chance that you're actually going to make better choices because that is your choice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think that's a, a big part of the problem is that, you know, the country has made it so easy to not have to do that. You know, <laughs> like there's, there is literally just garbage at your fingertips 24 seven. So, um, and, and having that air of anxiety and uncertainty and depression and all of these things, you're, you're going to err on the side of the, the easy, you know, delicious thing that's right there. Or, you know, like the, the, the computer game where you don't have to deal with people or, um, because the world is, it's, it's really, really tough to deal with right now. So, um, it, it does, it make, it, it takes a conscious choice, but it, you know, that, that little step to, to kind of show somebody that, okay, it's, it's, it's work. Yes. But, it's really, really worth it. And you feel way better, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's, I always think about, you know, my, my daughter is 20 now. And, uh, when she was a teenager, she, you know, like most teenagers, you moody at times and, you know, you don't feel very good. You're tired. You know, she was tired all the time. And so I'm like, well, you know, if you eat a little better, and you drink some more water, you're going to start feeling better. You're going to have more energy. And it, it's like, it sounds like the stupidest thing. Like, no, there's something wrong. There's something wrong, you know, like, and then I remember, you know, and I, I just kind of do what I do. And when she's at the age where you can't force feed them, you know, like meat and vegetables, it's like, okay, well, you're going to figure this out at some point. And I remember she, I mean, she was like 18 and she came to me and she's like, mom, I had, she got like this giant water bottle for herself and with like little markers. And she's like, I've been drinking this whole thing a day. She's like, I feel so much better. <laughs> I was just like, you know, oh my God, I'm going to wring your neck. You know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, great. <laughs> I'm so glad that you found that. <laughs> so um, sometimes it's just like, doing the things and like leaving the crumbs and then people start to, you know, like, oh, maybe I'll try this. And then they actually see that, oh yeah, 
yeah, I, I do feel better. What do you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just said that with my wife. I mean, back in the day when she did CrossFit, I would give her a cue and then I'd basically tell my coach friend, like, hey, Steve, will you go and tell Becky this thing? He tells her exactly the same thing. <laughs> oh, thank you, Steve. Because you can't <laughs> talk to your wife. Well, she just had, yes, you know, yeah. some, she's in med school. She kind of hit a wall and bless her. Now she's got into breath work and meditation and she was like, I know you've been telling me for years about this, but again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it illustrates what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. You, know, you lay the framework and you don't push, you just yeah. step back. I'm the, I'm the same way though. I've, I've fallen into the same traps. Um, I, I had a lot of, I have had a lot of, um, anxiety, depression, my whole life. I had a lot of, um, digestion issues my whole life. Um, and so I think maybe last year I, or two years ago, I decided to work with this um, herbalist to see if she could help me with my, you know, digestion and um, my gut issues. And she is, she's remarkable. Um, absolutely remarkable. She's um, on Instagram is made whole fitness or made whole wellness. Um, she, she does a, a phenomenal job at reading what you need and how to give you the information so that it's not too much. Um, and everything that like friends had told me to do or try or this or that, um, I eventually started doing because she would, she would, she kind of gained my trust by saying, okay, you know, maybe try this first, just like a little tiny thing. And once that started working, I was like, okay, she knows what she's talking about and it's helping. So I'll do this other thing and I'll do this other thing, you know? And, um, and I was just I laughing. My, I was laughing at myself at the end of it because it's all these things that you hear about all the time, you know, and it's not like, you know, magic or, you know, anything like that. It's just implementing these things into your daily routine and then it actually works and you feel better. And I'm like, man, I am just really stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I would just never try it before. And I, you know, it's like, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. That's not going to work, you know, and um but so, I mean, we all kind of fall into that, those traps all the time. I mean, I, I fall into the same traps that I, you know, are, am coaching, you know, my clients about all the time. And so it just takes a minute to, you know, stop and breathe and kind of go back and, you know, say, oh yeah, that's right. I can, I need to do this. And um, I think we, we tend to complicate our own lives a little more than they need to be at times with that kind of stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I want to kind of shift over to some closing questions in a little bit, but one more area I want to hit. Um, when it comes to the first responder population, male or female, the, the people that have walked through your doors that have used Wolf Brigade and been very successful and got to the strength that they need to, because arguably more petite women definitely need more strength. I've never been a, a large man myself. So especially when I first entered the fire service, it was my strength more than my endurance I had to work on. What are some of the the journeys or stories or and or failures of the people that you've seen through your coaching experience? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So we we do uh, train a lot of cops here. Um, we have we have a handful of firefighters. Um, cops that are more, you know, uh, we've got a bunch of SWAT team here. So they're, they're doing a lot, you know, there's a lot of responsibility. So the handful that we have here, um, you know, really thrive in their careers because they have the right mindset. 
they're go-getters, they know what they need to do, they're able, they're capable, all this stuff. So I think people around them start to come in and, um, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? I want to do that, you know? So, so we've had this influx of first responders come in and it's always interesting because you never can quite tell exactly how someone's going to be when they first come in. And, you know, you'll get, you'll get some people who are just totally gung ho, you know, natural, natural athletes. We've had um, some that are just like, you know, very in shape, strong, don't really see the need for, for this, you know, like they're, they're active, they're fit. Um, But what's lacking is, is their, their mindset. You know, they don't have, the mental endurance and strength that they need to for certain situations. And, and so they, they don't like to have to work hard. They don't want to have to like put that to the test. So they leave. And then you find that um, we've also had people who are extremely weak, very vulnerable um, men and women. When I find out people are cops that are coming in, it's, I, I try to like, relate it to, okay, like, it's not nice out there. You know, I'm not a cop. I don't, I don't have to deal with any of that stuff, but you do, you know, and someone else's life is likely in your hands in these situations. So this is important. Um, We've had, we've had some really great cases where people are super weak, lazy, and then they start doing this. And then all of a sudden really realize the benefit because they might get into a situation And then they were able to like defend themselves or, you know, do the job in a way that they would not have been able to do before. And they realized that. So that kind of helps cement it in for them. And we've seen people make extremely remarkable transformations. Like I, we've had like just wet noodles come in here and um, have kind of those light bulb moments for themselves. And then now they're like, really valuable assets in their department because they are applying themselves in all these ways. Um, What we see more often than not, sadly, is the ones that just don't think they need it because they're going to rely on their gun or their weapon or not doing the job. You know, they're just not going to go after what they need to do. Um, And and that's always, it's always, uh, it's really disheartening, you know? Um, and we don't take it lightly because if I'm in a job or I'm given responsibility over someone else, like that takes precedence even over my own life. Like if I have to take care of someone else's life, <laughs> like I'm going to do all that I can do and I'm not anybody, you know, I'm, just me. Like, I don't have to do that. And so these people are signing up for this and you see it more and more. And I think it's just more the, uh, the organizational fault of, you know, the system because they don't have to be, uh, any certain way, you know, they're the standards are so low and getting lowered like every year that like they can do some crappy push-ups and sit-ups, you know, once a year and 
they're they think they're fine you know like if they make it in the time they do their whatever you know it's like oh okay yeah i can do that and then they can just rely on the uniform um firefighters a little different because you know you really do have to be able to pull someone out of a fire you have to be able to climb the ladder you have to be able to carry those hoses like you have to be able to do that stuff um you can't just sit there and have somebody else do it, you know? So, um, and surprising, surprisingly, we have very, we, we have a handful of, we have a few firefighters in here and they're always trying to get, you know, their buddies to come in. But again, I mean, and you would know this better than I, like, I, there's not like a standard that they have to meet, you know, it's, it's a very, very low bar. And so they think that if, that's if they can kind of reach that bar, then they're fine. Um, and I just don't think that in general, um, their bosses or, you know, the departments are putting into perspective what that means. You know, it's, it's not that, oh, you can't really do a push up. It's, you can't help someone. You can't save someone's life. You can't, you know, do the job that you signed up for and took an oath to do, you know, like even like that's, it's not like you're working at a computer somewhere. Like you took an oath to do something. So, um, I mean, that that's, that's what we see, you know, it, it, it's, it's either people, they, they don't, they don't quite get it. They come in here, they understand real quick and, excel um or they just think that they're fine and they're going to rely on whatever you know um so and that's always that's always a disappointment because the uh the the first responders that are here are phenomenal people um they're not only remarkable at their job but they've but they've become like standout members in society, you know, like they are a real contribution to the world in general. And it's too bad because they could all be like that. You know, if they just, they don't have to come here, they just need to apply themselves, you know? And, um, I think that's, that's where the, uh, the frustration comes from. Cause there's a lot of old timey, um, you know, like, oh, we got to do things this way. And even if they don't work, you know, and, but we're sticking to it. And, and uh, I think that's where we, we get a little frustrated. Greg, Greg has dealt a lot with that. Um, you know, he's, he's done a lot with the police department here and, um, you know, held a lot of classes and, and goes in and, and trains, trains people. But, um, you know, he, he kind of butts up against that a lot, you know, like, well, yeah, what you're doing works and that's great, but we do it like this and it doesn't really work, but we're still going to do it like this. So it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? There's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in the fire service. Would you want you rescuing you? And I've always said, well, that's kind of, that's all right, I guess, but that's putting yourself as the most important thing. Would you rescue me? My thing that I've always used in my mind is how would you feel if your family died because the rescuer mm. hadn't trained? Yeah. Now think of it yeah. that way. You're that rescuer that hadn't trained and someone's, you know, your family died because another version of you couldn't get to the top of the building or couldn't go into that school shooting or whatever it was because they hadn't trained. To me, that is all that needs to be said at every single rank for us to take seriously. But for yeah. some reason that doesn't resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, there um there's a there's a poster up um 
in one of the offices, it says uh, you can't train hard enough for a job that can kill you. And um, I mean, when you think about it in those terms, yeah, oh my God, like I would want to be training all the time. You know, I'm, if I'm, <laughs> I, I mean, it just, I, I think again, just goes back to, you know, where we are in society and so, so just detached from it all. But, um, but yeah, I mean, your job can quite literally at any moment kill you and you have the power to be able to make that outcome different, you know, in, in certain situations, of course, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one. <laughs> I see it in my gym because the coach, the, the class I coach every Monday, 5 p.m., in Iron Legion in Ocala is free for all first responders, all military dispatchers, and pretty much the people in those professions that show up are already members of our gym. So basically not a single person, and people tell me they put emails out and they not a single person. Now, to be fair, a lot of our local first responders work a lot. They're understaffed, so they get told they can't go home and have to work another 24-hour shift. But there's a lot that don't. And there's a complete free resource. All you got to do is walk through. I was like, okay, it must just be me. I'm sure these top coaches have all these responders. But then I talked to Greg and I talked to Jeff Nichols and I talked to all these other people. It's universal. Sheepdog response came to town right after the Parkland shooting. They happened to just be already scheduled and an anonymous donor donated, I mean, tens of spots. So these were free spots of first responders. A lot of firefighters came to the civilian one and then in the civilian side, pretty much everyone that did day one and two and it was there day three. Day one was kind of like a pre-day and then two and three were when you were grappling and shooting. On the first respond on the excuse me, on the police side, Tim was saying, Tim Kennedy, that I forget what their um you know their rate was, but I like thirty percent or so of officers didn't show up on day three. This is the wow. problem. Because I think yeah. that that you have, again, we talked about that, the people that are going to show up regardless, the people that get it, that's not who we're even trying to talk to. And then there's the bottom percent that should never be wearing the uniform in the first place. But that middle group, it's trying to get them to realize it's okay to look stupid. It's okay to have that realization that you're not as fit and strong as you were because showing up today, that's the first day of fixing it. But if you run away and you hide and you don't show up, the moment you realize that you're not ready, is when someone's life, including yours, is at stake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's the other part of the issue is that um, a lot of a lot of the guys that would come in here, they would, you know, they're they're these young, you know, you know, kind of bigger, you know, muscly kind of guys, and they're they're looking around and they see smaller people or women, you know, like outworking them and outlifting them, and they don't want to see that. You know, they they don't necessarily want it. They don't they definitely don't want to do the work to not be that, but they don't want it in their face. You know, like they can they can work out together at the academy and, you know, bro each other up and think that they're doing something. And then that like satisfies their ego. But there's too much ego to come into a place like this where you are accountable only to yourself and you know, like it's not, you're not going to be coddled here, you know, like you, you have to do the work just like everybody else does. And they don't want to see that. So, I mean, unfortunately, you know, a lot of, a lot of certain, the certain situations that I, that I've seen where, you know, people are becoming, you know, officers or whatever, they're doing it because their dad was, 
and you know there's an expectation they don't really care they're they're just they're just there and you know they can kind of hide behind those things they don't really have to do a good job because they're not going to get fired and there's there's really no consequence so the 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 ego aspect of of that comes into play a lot and um and it's always it's always a little humorous when it when it does come <laughs> uh there was there was a a funny story about one kid who was a particularly uh unpleasant and left in a in a kind of uh very disrespectful way and so he was offered to either pay um pay the money that he needed to that he owed um or not pay any of the money and if he could uh wrestle our one coach who is a female um and you know not not get submitted by her and he would not he did not want to do that <laughs> because he was that guy he was that guy that was like did not want to do the work you know did not want that didn't want to be shown that he couldn't hold up, you know? And so it's just, and that's always too bad. You know, it's, it's such a disappointment because I feel like when we're in here and most of the people here, like if there's something that you can't do, or, um, you know, this really big hole in the boat, that's all, all of a sudden shown, like, I get really excited when I find a weakness. I'm like, Yes. Oh, cool. You know, I can't do that at all. You know, <laughs> like, all right, now I know what to work on. I'm going to get better at that. I'm going to even out everything, you know, like it's, it's, it's a privilege and um, to be able to be in a place where you can find what's broken or where the hole in the boat is and then repair it, you know, because that's what we're looking for. We're not, we're not here to just show off every day and do all the things that we're great at. We're here to find what we're bad at so that we can get better. That's the only way to progress. And um, it's, it's always such a shame when people don't see that, that positive aspect of, of that, you know? Well, again, I think it's humility. And I can tell you now, as you get older, that boat that used to be fine, now you look down one day and there's two oars and a rudder and you're like, shit, where did the, where did the fucking boat yeah. go? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> that's what's been so good. I, I told Greg, I'm like, I turned 50 in March. I'm not going to do a shirtless, well, 50 feels great, douchebag fucking <laughs> post. I want to be like, my knees don't hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. My back is stronger. Yeah. My shoulders are back where they're supposed to be. That's what I want. And so when I started doing the programming and there was hollow rocks again, I'm like, oh, there's my abs. I used to be really good. I used to do martial arts and get punched in the gut a lot and was good at this kind of stuff. But I lost it. You know, CrossFit is great. But with all the kipping, sometimes you lose that, lose that raw strength. Um, another one that was a real aha moment for me, and I absolutely love this. I always was drawn to Turkish get-ups, but we didn't program them much. And we've gone through several coaches, which is not a bad thing, but everyone has their kind of focus. And we used to do them a lot more than we, we do now. And so I started working up and again, very, very humbling at first. You're like, oh, I used to be good at these and I'm not anymore. But now back to, to using the 70s on the warm up, And again, when I get heavier, I'll be able to, to work towards that. But take it back now to jujitsu. Now, as a retired firefighter, the chances that I am going to walk, you know, run into a burning building are a lot less. The chances are that I'm going to get into a street fight are more so, you know, not more so now. I'm not firefighter, but that's a bigger risk now overall because I'm not 
wearing a uniform anymore. Being able to push away and shrimp a human being away from me now, being able to sit up with someone trying to push down and, and get side control, it's amazing. And I know obviously martial arts is kind of the, the nucleus of Wolf Brigade, but again, these new movements that I wasn't good at, I could do the kipping pull-ups, I could do the legless rope climbs and you know all this stuff, but I can't even do a basic Turkish get-up comfortably with a 53. Now I'm finding those holes. And then as you will attest... You saw how absolute white belt first day I was with the mace. And it was the same thing. Brilliant. I am fucking awful at this. Let me get the one that has, you know, the, the ball bearing on yeah. the end. Let's work on that and then we'll work <laughs> up. So I think yeah. that's the difference between humility and arrogance is someone who's humble will look at those weaknesses and go beautiful. Because not only do you get to fix it, you get to play with different movements and different equipment, which I find exciting because 16 years in CrossFit, I love it, but... The appeal of CrossFit was it was new movements, but now it's not. But now yeah. maces and, and you know unilateral kettlebell movements and some of the other things that you guys do, even I just throw them back a heavy jump rope. I bought a heavy like Muay Thai jump rope because I'm great at dubs, but now, you know, let's change it up again. Yeah. So so I love that you know, that element of, yeah, find the weaknesses, don't shy away from them, lean into them and fix them. Because that's how you'll be one of these eight year old men and women that you do see on Instagram still crushing it because they never ever let their their arrogance get in the way of their wealth and their, excuse me their health not their wealth yeah no i mean i i mean how how bad must it be to like know that you're gonna suck forever because you're just too arrogant to like get better you know <laughs> like that sucks <laughs> so talk to me about that lens then we've talked you know we've, we've kind of addressed the tactical athlete, athlete a little bit think kind of uh are there any athletes sort of walk through physically kind of fucked up that you've watched address injuries you've watched refine mobility you've watched unfurl the spine for example yeah um yeah we we we've had a bunch of people like that um the the big the biggest thing I think we see is you know overhead mobility is is a really tough one for a lot of people and especially um, what older you know if you're sitting all the time just having anything go above your head in any sort of straight manner and then having any sort of non pain doing anything is a really tough one so we we've had there's there's one guy in here who's he's a, he's actually a retired cop. So he was sitting, you know, a lot in his car and he, I mean, he couldn't lay down flat on a bench. Like he was like almost doing a, like a hollow, you know, because his, his posture was so bad when he, when he first started coming here and, um, through some mace work and, you know, mobility and, and just posture and positioning, um, you know, he, he has gotten, remarkably better. He still has to struggle with it a lot because it's been a lot, a lot of years of building that, but, um, it's, it's incredible. Like he, he'll remark all the time. Like, I can't believe that I can do this right now, you know? And, and then just what that's allowed him to do, you know, in his, in, you know, with his grandkids and all of that kind of stuff is really cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, we see people all the time that, you know, just have really limited, restrictions in a, in a particular area. And, uh, 
just it's it's really just applying the details you know getting those getting those um positions correct moving with intention and then we also have a phenomenal doctor out here uh Dr. Rob Lucky of Pittsburgh Performance Care who we work with all the time he's helped Greg uh, through the years, Greg found him pretty early on with, you know, his injuries and stuff. And he's just remarkable at connecting the brain to the body again. Um, so he's, you know, under the title of a chiropractor, but it's it's really not. He does all of this neurological um, assessment and um evaluation and then starts getting the body to talk to the brain and getting parts of the body that just aren't firing at all to, to fire and then work in together with the system. So uh, a lot of times we'll have people, uh, if people come to us with, with, you know, things like that, um, you know, we, we work with him together and then, you know, the, the two things together really just put people back together again. Um, he'll send us people and then we send him people. Um, and, and just with that, um, it, it's really remarkable what, what people are able to do again or, and even find, you know, um, especially, um, you know, we see a lot of now that we're learning a lot more about brain injuries and concussions and things like that and how huge of a role they're really playing. Um, even, even when they're, you know, years prior, um, he does, he does, he has a whole protocol for, um, uh, concussion concussions and things like that to just get people moving and, and, and working as like a whole unit again. And so that, that's a, that's a really, it's a, it's a really, um, I'm honored to be able to be even just a tiny part of that process for people when they come in and are just like hurting and banged up because, you know, you tell them, you go over and say, okay, you know, put your feet here and then, you know, do this with your knees. And they're, they're like, oh my gosh, it doesn't hurt anymore, you know? And they're flabbergasted because they've gone to a million places, a million doctors, a million uh, gyms and trainers, and nobody tells them the basics, you know, like, knees out, head neutral, braced. Like those are the absolute like 101 in here. And I think Greg always laughs at me because I'm like, how do these people not under like how have they never been told this? And he's like, you don't understand. <laughs> he's like, you've had it good. <laughs> so um it, you know, just giving people those those basics so that they can actually move and do the things they want to again is is really cool. We've seen a, we've seen a lot of progress in that area. Well, two things that I see is firstly, when people get hurt, there's a real fear of moving again, and then Absolutely. secondly, the way and this happened to me when I hurt my back in the fire service, it was all surgery and pills were the options that were told, like not even told, like almost ordered, which was really ridiculous from a freaking PA in a local clinic. But luckily, I dove into chiropractic and PT, and then I found foundation training, which is amazing. Um, and so the ability for movement to correct pain you know and the, uh, eric from foundation training talks about plantar fasciitis and um god what's the one that people get in their hands from typing um oh yeah uh, carpal, tunnel. carpal tunnel yeah and people get sliced and diced in their hands 
and it ends yeah. up being the root is actually in the neck or the shoulder. So it never gets fixed. And now they've just destroyed their hand as well. So, right. you know, I think when people go into somewhere like Wolf Brigade, where there's a complete science behind it, and, you know, the way that you're moving is putting these these joints back to where they're supposed to be and putting the balance back, all of a sudden, you don't feel that shoulder pain now because it's not pulled forward. It's back the way it's supposed to be, or your your pelvis is not, you know, rotated in a way that's causing, you know, ex, uh, kind of, what was it that I got hurt? Like it was like a... Uh, pizza slice you know like a pinching on one end and so when you lift it's only a matter of time before the ligaments tore which is what happened to me so that pelvic tilt so we don't get that messaging anywhere near enough that yes you get nailed by a bus you're probably going to need to go into surgery but if you herniate a disc the number of people i know that still have herniated discs that live completely pain-free because the the muscular you know, column around the spine is holding them the way it's supposed to. So this, oh, you don't understand. I had this. I had that. The guy who created yeah. foundation training. You look at his MRIs. It looks like it's terrible, and he's yeah. amazing. So I think this movement is medicine conversation needs to get a lot more attention. I I agree. It's 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 far too common for people to just you know t- take the pill. Um, you know, sit on the couch, don't do the thing anymore. You know, I mean that we we've literally had people come in and tell us that their doctor just said, well, don't squat anymore. If it hurts, you know, don't, don't do that anymore. If it hurts. And it's like, are you kidding me? You know, like that's the worst advice you could give to anyone. And, um, like we see like just the atrophy of the body and another reason why it's so important for everyone to strength train, because, even if you are injured, you're insulating those injuries is going to prevent further wear and tear on that and further injury um, down the line because it's, and it's going to, it's going to, if, if not, to, if not heal it, because it's, it's getting what it needs, um, it's going to prevent it from getting way worse. And so I think that's the thing that people don't understand. It's like, no, like I, I've had a few personal training clients that, you know, tell me that, they'll do everything, but they won't squat because their knees hurt. And, you know, doctors have told them not to squat anymore. So that's the first thing we do. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to squat today then. And they're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And so we put them in the positions, you know, like we do it, we do it baby steps and then they do it. And they, I had one woman in particular who, who was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go below, you know, parallel. And I was like, well, we'll do that today. And you'll, and you'll feel great. And, um, so we do them baby steps, of course, and loving because I want them to understand, like, I don't want them to be afraid of it anymore, you know? And, um, so we put them in the right position and, you know, we brace it up and she was like flabbergasted. She, she looked at me like, like looked around, like there was something, you know, like <laughs> somebody put a spell on her or something. And I was like, no, it's just, we just, you're moving well now, you know, you move wrong and it's going to hurt, of course, but you're moving well. And now you're going to, now you're going to be able to strengthen that up and you're going to feel really good. You know, why would you, why would you limit an entire movement pattern from your whole rest of your life? You know, like that's the thing that boggles my mind and people are just very willing to do it because the doctor told them to. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you gotta question everything. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we talked about obviously odd objects and maces, when you were little, you were talking about wanting to be an artist. Talk to me how that's come full circle now on the maces that you sell. 
Um, yeah, the, the maces, um, that's been a real, uh, surprise, um, and joy to be able to, to get into that. It was a complete, just out of necessity. You know, Greg was, Greg was etching them. He was putting the, you know, WBNY on them and, he did, you know, like the first, you know, few hundred maces or so. And then he was on a trip for a few weeks and we were getting a ton of orders that those two weeks. And so I just out of necessity was like, maybe I can, you know, mimic what he does. So I practiced on a little sample mace that we had and um, was like, okay, I think I can figure this out a little bit. And then started just get trying to get creative with it a little bit and uh, make it look better and then figured out that I could put pictures on there and um and then and, and it was really it was funny so I had made a couple different things for some people here and then uh Greg was like well maybe we could maybe we could offer like a custom mace you know if somebody wants to buy one and I was just like nobody's gonna want that you know and um and I'm like and I can't do anything you know so uh, like we put one offering, we put one offering up on the website and I remember somebody, um, they get, you know, gave me a logo. And so I was like, okay, could, could do that. And then, um, and then just the things that started piling up as people were like, oh yeah. And people gave me like portraits of people's faces and like all this crazy stuff. And like pretty much for uh, like, a while, every single one that came through, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> There's no way that I can do this, you know? And so I just kind of sit with it and try to figure it out rudimentary, like really like, so like, it's funny now, like how I used to do it. Um, but, uh, so it's just, it's just been able to, I've been able to refine it a little bit and it's been a really great, uh, outlet because I, I always have been a, a creative person and I like making things. And so to be able to incorporate that onto something that is super meaningful for someone and like, and is going to be able to help someone, um, you know, find out all these things about themselves and create strength and, um, you know, do all this hard work with is it's like, it's a real honor. Like I, I, I really do appreciate every single person that, puts an order in and puts their trust in me to, to make it how, how they want, because I really don't take it lightly at all. And, um, I, I really kind of pour over those things. And when they leave, it's like, it, it's really weird. I have like a weird, um, attachment to, to them. <laughs> They're like my little babies. And sometimes when people bring them back or, um, you know, like they'll come for convergence and people will bring ones and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's really wild to just see them out there and, um, seeing people really use them and enjoy them. It, it's like, it's such an honor to me. So I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that that kind of, we stumbled upon that and, um, that's part of my job. <laughs> it's just, it's great. That's what, again, I love about the early life stuff is so many times as things from early life maybe even dreams or a class that someone took that decades later it circles around they were like oh yeah i never thought of it that way yeah i was that was that was yeah. where i was finally able to create was a giant metal ball with a pole on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah who the heck would have known yeah 
yeah, very, very, very different than I would have ever have imagined. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> so I want to get to the closing question. But one last thing about what was it three, six weeks ago now? Um, the original Wolf Brigade Instagram page got shut down. Now, I don't ever remember seeing anything, you know, that would warrant <laughs> that. But, you know, as we all know, you can't, I mean, I can't even put the word suicide on a suicide awareness post, you know, something, a positive right. mental health right. post, because it, no one will see it. You know, it'll just be the same thing as you put, you know, COVID and all of a sudden there's all these banners and all that shit too. So, Talk to me about what happened and let's just educate people where they can find the new page so we can get everyone back on there. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, really what it comes down to is we've we've been um, uh, discriminated against by a certain group, um, you know, where we, we say hard-minded things. We have, um, you know, we're, we're serious. We're, you know, we're powerful. We actually create change. So that's scary to people. Um, so we've been discriminated by, uh, certain groups and they have made it their life mission to make sure that we don't reach people. So they've, they've done it before with, um, our Cubs program and, um, certain things. And, and this was just another case of that, you know, uh, um, it's really just there there's two minutes of scrolling like you said like if you there's nothing on any of our content that is uh malicious or um evil or you know bad in any way like we we clearly welcome everyone um this isn't for everyone but it is is not we're not discriminating or uh you know excluding anyone we we want to help everyone and so um i think there was just a mass um reporting and instagram just does what it does because it's a robot and shuts it down so so we lost um we lost all of all greg lost all of the pages that he had um and you know just overnight with no explanation no no way to combat it at all uh we lost like a, the majority of how we reach people, how we sell our products, you know, gone overnight. So, you know, that, that, that's been a, definitely a stressful situation. Um, we, we are back up now, um, at Wolf Brigade gym. Uh, it's Wolf underscore Brigade underscore gym and, um, on Instagram. So, and, and we can't rely on that, you know, uh, to, to be there forever. Um, because Instagram is what it is. And, um, you know, that, that might happen again, but for right now we're there. Um, we also have, uh, uh, WBNY home base or Wolf Brigade home base. I can't remember that one. We'll have to link it. Um, where that one, that one, I, that one, I, control and, you know, just kind of more put up what we're doing in the gym each day. Um, and I mean, I'm on there, but we, we do have our YouTube channel, uh, Wolf Brigade on YouTube. Uh, Greg has been utilizing a lot more lately. So that's another place to find us. And then wolfbrigade.com, um, is our main site. And, um, that can like pretty much take you to anywhere you need to, or that's, you can get in contact with us there. So, um, that's where we are now. 
and we'll just keep utilizing it for as long as we can. And uh, if it gets bumped again, then we'll just figure out another way to get back on. But um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's the, the frustrations of the internet and uh, a robotic world is, is really tough, uh, especially when you're a small business and you really rely on those things. It, it's a, it's a necessary evil right now. Um, but it, it, it is what it is. <laughs> What's scary as well, that a competitor can basically just get a bunch of people to, to close someone down so they can take all the money then. Yeah. You, you see, you see, you see it happening all the time. People getting canceled for like just absolutely ridiculous reasons. And, and, and the thing that's most frustrating is that there's not even a reason, you know, for, for us, like we're, we're not part of any like, you know, dicey underground thing. Like we're just trying to put good information out there to help others. And, um, and we'll still keep doing that no matter what, you know, no, no matter, no matter what we come up against or how many times, um, you know, they may shut something down or this or that, like we're, we're not going to stop. That's definitely not going to, that's not going to like ever end this. So, um, we'll, we'll just keep finding ways to reach people and help people because that's what we do. Brilliant. All right. Well, the first of the closing questions, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Um, well, actually, I mean, it, it was kind of part of part of our topic. I, I've recommended um, The Body Keeps the Score to so many people because I think it's like uh, one of the most important things in understanding how our brains work and how other people's brains work. Um, it helped once I read that, I light bulb started clicking for me and just what, what I was going through, but then also like what other people are going through, because we all handle things in such different ways. Um, and I think even in relationships, you know, your partner may be, maybe hand handling things one way and you handle it another. And then there's like this like friction there, but then once you understand those things, it's so much easier to communicate. So, um, that, that one is a, that one is a really, uh, one that I've actually have recommended to a ton of people because <laughs> it's kind of amazing. It's not an easy read for sure. <laughs> it's not a light. Read. <laughs> I'm doing the audio book and I'm actually, I stopped halfway and I, I need to do it because I drive 300 miles, to see my wife there and then 300 miles back. So I have the opportunity to finish it, but I want to get the author on because Tribe, Sebastian Junger is one that so many people recommend. Um, Atomic Habits is actually another one that comes up a lot, but The Body Keeps the Score comes up over and over again. So I need to reach out to him when I'm done as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, the brain is a fascinating place. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, then what about movies and or documentaries that you love? Oh, well, I am, I'm all over the place with movies. I, I really like, a, it depends on what mood I am in, but I can always watch the never ending story <laughs> and the princess bride. Those are two, those are two movies that I grew up watching all the time. And, uh, like I can go back to those like anytime, like it, when, when I find somebody that hasn't seen the princess bride, like I'm a little concerned because I think that's a classic and you need to know that. Um, <laughs> so those are good ones, but I like, uh, I mean, I'm a, 
other than that, like I'm kind of all over the place with movies, you know, it kind of depends on what I, what mood I'm in. Cause a lot of times I like to watch, uh, uh, like, like dramas and like things that like make me feel. Cause I, if I'm ha- having a particularly tough time feeling something, then like, I just like want to dive in. So, but those aren't usually fun ones to watch. <laughs> Princess Bride, I think even to this day, is is revered in the stunt community, which is what I've did for a long time. And even oh, yeah. the um, to the pain that monologue I did for Universal oh, a few yeah. times. So yeah, I'm very very <laughs> familiar with that movie. Yeah, it's just so good. I don't know if you can get much better. <laughs> All right. Well, then the next question is: There a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, Tyson Shumway was on the show and he mentioned Matt. Oh, yeah. Well, we have a we have um, Matt Pataki, who's a member here. He's been a member for a really long time. And um, and he he's actually in Africa right now. Um, He goes and teaches, um, you know, what he does is uh, breaching. So he goes and uh, teaches some methods. to other places, but he, I mean, he, he's great. And he's actually the main person that is always bullying all of his workmates to, to come in and calling them babies. And, um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) Um, but yeah, he's great. I mean, he's been in, he's been in, you know, that for all of his life and he's a remarkable athlete. He's a, he's a remarkable person. Um, he really knows the ins and outs of what's going on and where things are failing and you know what needs to be changed so he he would he would be great to have on i'm sure that he wouldn't want to be on but (laughs) (laughs) he he would be great to be on (laughs) well again and that that was tyson's suggestion so yeah let me know if there's anyone that, that springs to mind when we're done then yeah i will i will think about that brilliant all right well then the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you and wolf brigade what do you do to decompress Oh, um, I am, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an introvert by nature. So like I have to go into my little home bubble. So usually, uh, to decompress, I, I go home or go outside. Um, I will pet my dogs. I, I do some, I, I try to do breath work and, you know, just sort of, um, slowing everything back down. So, outside to me is, is the most filling back up. If I can just be outside by myself, that, that helps a lot. Um, but just kind of like being home with my dogs in my own little bubble and, you know, just kind of concentrating on, um, I'll make, making malas is actually something that helps me decompress as well. Like I just, you know, beating, beating those malas, um, actually is like super therapeutic so I, I do that as well what kind of dogs have you got i've got two um pit bulls uh they're the silliest boys uh <laughs> ever uh, they're definitely my saviors though they they always make me laugh so wouldn't be able to live without them <laughs> yeah my german shepherd's out i can see her from now and it's funny this she knows that when i'm wrapping up like right now she's fast asleep but the moment i say Whatever the you know the closing statement is, she'll be looking at me through the glass like. <laughs> She's it, like, okay, yeah. is it time now? So yeah, <laughs> I, I totally understand. 
Yeah. All right. Well, then the very last question, if people want to follow you on Instagram or learn more about Wolf Brigade, where are the best places? Um, so I'm on Instagram as McAllister13, I believe, H McAllister13. Um, uh, Wolf Brigade, like I said, is uh, Wolf underscore Brigade underscore Jim. Uh, and then I also have a Metalworks Creative. That's where you can find the maces on Instagram. Um, just just my work on maces. And then um, uh, WolfBrigadeGym.com is where you can co- I the contact button on on the website. Um, I read those, so you can contact me there if you're interested in training um or you know any other questions that you have about uh, about the gym or anything like that you can reach me there um the email comes to me brilliant and like i said i think i'm four months into the programming now and again not as consistent as i'd like but it's it's been amazing and that is that subversivefitness.com if i got yeah, that right yes yep yeah subversivefitness.com is um our remote training site so um if you're interested in um getting on getting involved with that programming um matt and i are on there uh matt uh, Matt from toronto um (laughs) he he and i are on there um coaching he's more on there uh i i hop on there uh periodically as much as i can uh things get pretty busy so he he does he does the brunt of of the coaching on there but that's also a great a great way to get into the programming and uh, with whatever you have. And then also our, what Matt's doing right now with the water bottle is he's, um, he's, um, describing or going over each of the public assistance days. If you have absolutely nothing and nowhere to work out, that's still, we've still got programming for you. So on our site, uh, wolfbrigade.com, you can go down to the public assistance program and there's 30 days of workouts that you can do with anything that you have. And if you don't have anything, go get a water bottle and that's what you work out with and you'll get it really, really good, um, results with that as well. So any, any circumstances we want people to be moving. So we, we try to make that happen. Brilliant. Well, Heather, I want to say thank you so much again, firstly, for, you know, the, the brief lesson that I got when you came down to Florida, I will be at Convergence next year, as long as it doesn't fall on the part of July where I need to go to Japan. If it's any, any side out of that, then I'll be up there. But uh, it's been an amazing conversation. Um, thank you for your vulnerability, too. I think it's so important that all of us now kind of, you know, talk about the places that were uncomfortable for us to talk about when we were young, we weren't really encouraged to talk about, but I think that's how we move the needle on the the mental health side too. But also the work that you're doing with Wolf Grip Brigade. I mean, my professions need a dive in, but uh, as we said as well, the longevity piece, I mean, there's so much to take from it. And anyone who's been in CrossFit for years, I recommend just try this for a while too. It'll be another, you know, adjunct if nothing else. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and being so generous with your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here.